Well, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 12, we are continuing our series in Matthew's gospel. And we will be looking and considering the first 14 verses of this chapter. But before we do, let me pray. Lord, you have told us that your word is a light to our path and a lamp unto our feet, that it directs us, it guides us, it encourages us, it comforts us, it exhorts us, it corrects us, it loves us. Lord, this is you speaking to us in your word. And so we ask that you would help us to hear this morning. Help us to draw near to you, for you have promised that you would draw near to us. And so we believe you will. We believe you are present here. And so, Lord, help us as we look at your holy scriptures. And may your name be glorified this morning. Lord, may our thoughts exceed just the world we live in and look to you in heaven. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew 12, beginning in verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck the heads of the grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And the man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. And it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. The flowers fade, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord endures forever. 
While these two stories talk about the Sabbath, Matthew in his gospel has something of much greater importance to show us. But to understand what he is after, we must first understand what this Sabbath controversy between Jesus and the Pharisees is all about. Now, understand the nation of Israel had distinctive practices that set them apart from all the Gentile nations around them. The fourth commandment being of high priority, of the ten highest priorities, the Sabbath. In, in Exodus thirty-one sixteen, the Lord communicates that the Sabbath is a sign of His covenant, His commitment, His promise with Israel. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generation as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Exodus thirty-one sixteen. Laws were established by God on what should and should not happen on the Sabbath. No work, no cooking, no gathering sticks for a fire, no one in the entire household doing any work at all. They were to honor God's covenant by their Sabbath rest. They were to honor His promise to be their God and for them to be His people. They were to honor His work of creation by a day of rest. And over time, though, many different Jewish leaders added their own Sabbath rules and traditions to the Scriptures. And as always happens when men try to improve what God has established, they mess it up badly as they did with the Sabbath traditions. Now, the fourth commandment didn't define exactly working as specifically as the religious leaders wanted them to as they desired. So the rabbis and the Pharisees and the scribes created their own written and oral traditions in places like the Talmud, the Halakha, and the Mishnah, writings and oral traditions. And the Mishnah alone, this oral tradition of rules and regulations that the Pharisees and scribes, the rabbis had come up with, the Mishnah had 39 descriptions of work that would violate the Sabbath. 39. Some, you couldn't walk more than half a mile on the Sabbath. You couldn't sow seed on the Sabbath. You couldn't reap a harvest. You couldn't winnow. You couldn't shear sheep. You couldn't sharpen a tool. You couldn't write anything. You couldn't build a fire. You couldn't put a fire out. You couldn't cook. You couldn't wash your hair. You couldn't comb your hair. Or you couldn't carry something. And so many more. All for one day. They attempted to cover every conceivable situation. But what was, what was originally intended to serve as a sign of Israel's unique role in redemptive history turned into this untenable burden. Overall, you understand the Jewish people loved Sabbath. It was, it was a day of rest. It was a day where they would draw near to the Lord. But the regulations that these religious leaders brought about, the, the, the perversion of what God intended for good, they, they became a burden. It became a burden to a day that was supposed to be a, a day of blessing. Many, many of their rules, their regulations, their traditions, their laws were absurd. 
And the Sabbath became a man-made prison rather than a God-honoring time. Jesus did not oppose the fourth commandment as we read here. He, he came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. He understood the deep meaning behind the Sabbath because he's God. And as we see here, he was intent on correcting what had been corrupted. These absurd and inexplicable rules and laws. Now, if you're like me, you, you, have, you have parents who, who provided all sorts of different house rules for you. One of the house rules that I grew up with was that whenever company came over for dinner, we were to clean under our bed. <laughs> now, in the, in the decades that, that I lived in my parents' home and we had company over for dinner... Not once did company ever come and look under my bed. That, to me, was in an absolutely absurd law. And that's, that's what's happening here. Matthew is writing to the early church, and he's recounting the controversy about the Sabbath, and not surprisingly to, to bring about Jesus' correction. And after, after what he's written in chapter 11, we see how Jesus has really defined what Sabbath rest is all about in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's no surprise that this controversy over the Sabbath follows this statement by Jesus about what true rest is, what Sabbath rest is. The controversy, though, doesn't center on whether the Sabbath should be observed, but on who the Sabbath is all about and, and what that person expects. Jesus' rest in, in eleven twenty eight through 30 contrasts greatly with the burdens and with the demands of the religious leaders illustrated in these two stories that we just read. So let's consider two main points that Matthew wants us to grasp in this passage about the Sabbath. The two main points are the Lord of the Sabbath is Jesus, God who has come in the flesh. And secondly, the Lord of the Sabbath is Jesus, God who is merciful. Jesus is not abolishing the Sabbath, but defining the meaning of the Sabbath and Sabbath rest. And with his coming, the old Sabbath law was fulfilled and no longer required a list of don'ts that we see in the Old Testament. And more importantly, in the Pharisees' rules and traditions. And Matthew, he wants us to see first that the Lord of the Sabbath is Jesus, God who has come in the flesh. Look at verses 12, 1 and 2. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck the heads of the grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. The, his disciples, Jesus, they're, they're making their way through the, great, the Galilean countryside. And, and as we can see, the disciples are hungry. So they begin to pull the heads off of the grain, 
of, of the wheat, rubbing them in their hands and getting rid of the chaff so they can eat the kernel. The Pharisees, obviously, obviously they're here, they're walking alongside, they're observing this, they're watching this, and they become greatly offended. Look what your disciples are doing. And in verses 3 and 4, he, he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with them, but only for the priests. In the disciples' minds, what they were doing was completely innocent and legal. Because according to Deuteronomy 23, a farmer was required to leave the edges of his grain field unharvested so that, that some of those crops, when, when the poor would walk by or, or hungry travelers would walk by, they would have food to eat. And so what the disciples were doing here was not a violation. It wasn't stealing. They were just actually following Deuteronomy 23. The Pharisees knew this law. They, they were experts in the law. They knew that this was the right thing to do. The problem was that they considered what the disciples were doing as work. Because they, they saw that picking the grain was reaping, which is not allowed. Crushing the head to get to the kernel was threshing, which was not allowed. And casting aside the chaff was winnowing, which was not allowed. The Pharisees didn't oppose what they were doing, but when they were doing it, it was the Sabbath. And to the extent of their legalistic and prison-like rules, even the act of feeding yourself was considered law-breaking. Jesus responds to the Pharisees in the most unique way, a way he typically does with a question. And he asks the Pharisees, the, the law, the guys who know the law, the experts in the law, he asks the Pharisees, haven't you read about David? Well, a stunning question to these law experts. Of course they've read. Of course they've read 1 Samuel 21, the story where, where David is fleeing Saul. Sometime after David was anointed by the priest, he found himself an enemy of Saul. And Saul wanted to kill him, so David had to run for his life. And so he runs and he comes to the town of Nob, where there's a house of the Lord and the priests offer the sacrifices to the Lord. And he tells the priest, he lies to the priest why he had come. I'm on a secret mission for the king, which was untrue. And he says, my, my men are hungry and so am I. And, and so we, we want to eat the bread that you have. I need to feed my men who are hungry. Now, what is unique is that scripture never corrects David as doing something wrong which tells us that what he did was actually acceptable to God. Technically, yes, it was illegal, but the priest, the priest who would give the bread of the presence, the priest who was the only one allowed to eat the bread of the presence that was to be sacrificed to the Lord, he understood the true purpose of the law, far beyond what the Pharisees and scribes did. And so he gave the bread to David because David was God's anointed king. Oh, see the shadow of what is happening here. Amen. 
12, 5, just as the needs of God's anointed king and his servants outweigh the sacrificial regulations of David's day, Jesus tells the Pharisees the needs of this anointed king, a reference to himself, and his servants outweigh their Sabbath regulations. Verse 5, Or have you not read in the law on how the Sabbath, the priests in the temple, profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Matthew, Matthew is using this to subtly show that, that Jesus is the king. And he asks the Pharisees this same question again. Or have you not read? Now, if you're thinking, here's a Pharisee. Have, have you not read? These guys read the law all the time. It's like saying, you don't know what you're talking about. He asks the Pharisees, have you not read in the law on the Sabbath? And of course they have. They know what the priests do on the Sabbath. Verse 5, Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? That's a, that's a powerful statement when he, he says profane the Sabbath. The priests profane the Sabbath. And in profaning, in other words, they're breaking Sabbath rules, laws, and they're guiltless. What does he, what does he mean there? Well, what is understood is that they, the, the, the Pharisees and scribes that Jesus is talking to, they know what the priests do on the Sabbath. If, if the true meaning of Sabbath is to never work, then the priests desecrate the Sabbath every week. They, they break the law every week. But God's re priority requires them to do so. Think about it. Numbers 28, 9. Each Sabbath, the priest puts on their robes. They set up the altar, which is work. They slaughter the sheep. They clean up the bloody mess. And they sacrifice to the Lord. Is their work wrong, Jesus asks? By no means. Because even technically they break the Sabbath law by doing all this work on the Sabbath. They are guiltly, guiltless because they are serving God. Just as my disciples, Jesus says, are guiltless because they are serving me. Again, a subtle reference to him as God. Amen. You see Mr. Pharisee and he says in 12.6, then, then he just makes it clear to them. He, he, he makes Jesus is, I hope I get to talk to him because I want to know if, if he's kind of tweaking these guys because he, he makes these statements that are, are bound to arouse in them these questions and these emotions. I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Here's a, here's a clear reference to I am God. He, he, he's just simply saying, you see, Mr. Pharisee, the temple priests, the temple that these priests serve, that is only a shadow of the real presence of God. Something greater than the temple is here. The temple built to honor God. The temple where God's presence uniquely dwells. Something greater than the temple is here because I am present. God in the flesh. I am here. 
It is hard to overstate the shock of this pronouncement to these men. The tabernacle set up under God's direction in the wilderness and the temple built by Solomon in Jerusalem were understood to be the focus of God's presence and God's relationship with his people. And to make this statement was to clearly state that Jesus is God. He tells them, I'm not interested in your sacrifices, but in your love and in your care. Because he goes on in verse 7, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. You would have not condemned the disciples of mine as they served me and were hungry and ate on the Sabbath. You would have not condemned David's men as they ate the bread of presence. You would have not condemned the priests who serve in the temple based on God's priority. If you knew what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, not all the rules and regulations. I desire your heart. I desire your love. And I desire you, you, you give that love to me and you give that love to one another. He tells them, I'm not interested in your sacrifices, but in your love and your care and your mercy towards me and your fellow man. Your man-made rules, Jesus says, do not impress me. What impresses me? Mercy. The very mercy my Father has shown you repeatedly. The mercy that brought me to earth. I am greater than David who was guiltless on the Sabbath when he ate the bread. I am greater than the temple where sacrifices are made to God because I am the ultimate and final sacrifice for sin. I am greater than the temple because that's the only building where God dwells and I am dwelling among you right now. Now, and I am greater than the Sabbath because as the Son of Man, not Son of Man human, but the divine King prophesied in Daniel, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, he says in verse 8. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. This one last time he had taken him to the Old Testament and he quoted Hosea 6.6. He came because he's the God of mercy. That's why he came to earth. That's why we celebrate this day called Christmas. The incarnate Christ came because he is the God of mercy. And the Pharisees in their arrogance and the Pharisees in their pride saw themselves as superior to everyone else. They did not see their own need for God's mercy and God's love. Just as they did not in 9.13 when we read about Jesus calling Matthew and eating with tax collectors and sinners. And it's the very same quote, Hosea 6.6, that Jesus uses there. I'm eating with these tax collectors and sinners because it's not the well who need a physician, it's the sick. And I came, I desire not sacrifice, but mercy. They, They completely missed the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That is what he's after here. 
See, I am the God of mercy. I, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the God of mercy, he says. And these, these Pharisees, these unbelieving men, they thought they had earned God's love by keeping the law, but missed that they needed to be merciful towards others. The Lord of the Sabbath is Jesus, the God who has come. And secondly, the Lord of the Sabbath is Jesus, the God who is merciful, which we have just talked about. But here is the sequel to verses 12, 1 through 8, a second Sabbath event. There is a lot of drama going on behind the scenes in this story. The Pharisees, they're plotting. They're, they're secretly planning to get rid of Jesus. They're waiting for Jesus to violate the Sabbath once again because he's healed before on the Sabbath and they want more evidence to accuse him. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. Oh, what a statement that is. And from and then a man there with a withered hand was among the people who were in the synagogue. And so the Pharisees, they see Jesus in their synagogue. They see a man with a withered hand in their synagogue. And so what do they do? They, they subtly are trying to provoke Jesus. And they ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? As if Jesus would say, no. You know, tell the, tell the guy with the withered hand, listen, I, I'll be here tomorrow about 9 a.m. when the Sabbath is over. Come back. I'll hear your withered hand then. No, no. There is a lot of drama going on. In the NASB, it records, the, the New American Standard translation records 1210 and says, and behold, a man with a withered hand is there. The, the ESV leaves out and behold. But that is, that is, that is a very consistent throughout Matthew. Matthew uses that phrase again and again to grab our attention. And behold, and behold, Matthew wants us to see there's a man here who is in need of mercy. There's a man here with a withered hand, a crippled hand. Luke says it's his right hand. Apparently making note that, that that's his dominant hand. That's a hand that, that prevents him from working, that prevents him from earning a living, that prevents him from, from eating food, that, that really changes his life. And so the, the Pharisees test him. Some, some commentators actually believe that this withered hand man was there by invitation of the Pharisees just so they could get Jesus to violate the Sabbath, to test him, to draw his attention to this cripple, to see what he would do. It was, it was obvious that the weighty and burdensome rules of the Pharisees were, were not concerned with people. These rules were the rules no matter what to them, no matter how much it hurt individuals. So Jesus illustrates what he just previously told the Pharisees in the first Sabbath event. And he does it in their own synagogue. He illustrates the God of mercy, the God who has come in their own synagogue. They expected him to do something and they wanted him to do something so that they could accuse him. Well, he goes ahead and he does something. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? 
of how much more value is a man than a sheep. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He, he is the fulfillment of the law right there. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And in faith, the man stretched it out and was restored healthy like the other. He challenges them. Before healing the man, he challenges them first with really what is considered an absurd question and an illustration about saving a sheep who falls into a ditch on the Sabbath. Is this sheep of yours more important than a man, he asks? There's an absurdity to this question. Really, a sheep more important than a man? It's as absurd as as my house on fire, and the first thing I save are my golf clubs before Marilyn. <laughs> Not true. <laughs> and Jesus is asking, do you think a sheep is more valuable than a man created in God's image? It is not. You, you really want to obey the law? It's good. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And that is exactly what Jesus does here. He heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. Why, why, does, he, why does he heal this man who doesn't even ask to be healed? He does it to draw attention to his greater mission, the cross. The crippled man's healing was a shadow of the mercy to be expressed and given to us at Calvary. By the God who had come to earth. The merciful God has not come just to heal withered hands, but broken, wearied, sinful hearts in need of redemption. Even if Jesus had broken the Sabbath law, which he, he did not, sometimes God actually sets aside his laws, as he did for David, which we read here in 1 Samuel 21, for the sake of mercy, he sets aside a law. Listen, listen. Tease that out. If he did not set aside his law, none of us would be saved or even born because Adam and Eve would have been rightly destroyed the moment they sinned. But in his mercy, God set aside his law, which he was justified to exact upon Adam and Eve because he is merciful. Even as we read again and again, and I'm reading my way through Judges right now, even when God judged Israel's sin and punishment came, it was always temporary. The Lord's desire is not to condemn our sin, but to save us from it. So if God can be merciful to us, how much more as sinful men and women should we do merciful and good things to others? Truly, truly, brothers and sisters, the Sabbath is a road sign pointing us to Christ who is merciful, the merciful God come to earth. It is a road sign that points to God's love for us and how we should love one another. It it points to the gospel and the true Sabbath rest that we find in Christ alone, a rest that points to our eternal rest that awaits every one of us who have put their faith in Christ for our salvation. 
today, we, we don't use typically Sabbath to describe this day, our day with the Lord. The New Testament, and we often use the Lord's Day, which is a unique day for God's church to worship Him. It's, it's a time where we enjoy our union with Christ and our union with one another, where we have the Lord's Supper, we share communion with Him, and we share communion with each other. The Lord's Day is, is truly, it's a time where God has given us space, this space to enjoy Him. It's a time where He restores our souls. Jesus tells us prior to chapter 12 and chapter 11 that we are to come to Him in our weariness. We are to take His yoke upon us and His burden upon us because it's light and easy and He will give us rest. Now, do you think that about today being that day? Come to Him. You do. And today is a day that He will give you rest. That you can take His yoke upon you and His burden upon you. And He goes on to say, and, and learn from me, which is exactly what you do today. This Lord's Day, this Sabbath day, is a day where you literally fulfill Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 when you gather together as the people of God. Jesus, Jesus tried to help the Pharisees. They wouldn't listen. <laughs> But we must listen because this is a day, this gathering on Sunday. It's not just one day of the week for us. This is the day where we gather together to receive from Christ. It's a day where we bring our, our sin, bruised and battered souls into Christ's presence to be healed and to be restored and refreshed in our faith by this gentle Savior who is lowly in heart and merciful to us all. What a Sabbath day we are to have now, brothers and sisters. Listen, He, he reigns in heaven far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And though He is surrounded by angels and beings of glory that are unimaginable in heaven, uh, always worshiping with Him with loud praise and trumpets, the Christ of heaven, seated on the throne, still sees us when we gather to worship. He has his eye on us. He sees down past the angels and the seraphim and the cherubim and not from a distance, but he sees us. And he sees down into our small gathering. And not only does he have his eye upon us, brothers and sisters, he is present with us, offering us rest and teaching us how to love him and how to love one another. The Pharisees did not have hearts open to Jesus. And even though they religiously kept their rules and traditions, they did not find Sabbath rest. All they could see, all they could see was a challenge to their authority. That's what they saw, and not the Christ who came in the flesh. Instead of learning about mercy, they, they gave in to their arrogance and hate by setting in motion the path to the cross. In 12.14, we read, But the Pharisees went out 
and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, who is the Lord who has come, the Lord who is merciful, is now on death row. Is now on death row. And here is the ultimate act of mercy soon to come. God's only son taking on our flesh, bearing our struggles and sufferings in our lives, bearing the weight of our sin and God's wrath and dying our death that we might live. That is, that is the road he is on. That is the ultimate act of mercy he will perform. That is the climax of God's mercy. And God's never stopped being merciful to you. Never. Not for a moment. He's never stopped saving people. He's never stopped providing a true Sabbath rest, which he always offers. He, his promises are sure because he is always with us. He promises at the end of Matthew, even to the end of the age, he is present. So what is our response to be? Our response is, is to be here. To draw near to God who will draw near to you. Our, our response is to love the Lord our God with all our soul, with all our heart, with all our strength. As we gather here, as we hear his word, that we might love our neighbor as ourselves. That is our response to the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful day you have given us, this space you have given us to draw near to you when we are burdened and we are weary to come to this place where we will find rest in you, where the, the heavy yokes that we are wearing we can cast off and take on your yoke. Lord, thank you that, that your promise to be merciful is always fulfilled in our lives, ultimately fulfilled in your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And so, Lord, we come to you today. We come, we come expecting to find refreshing, expecting to find renewal, expecting to find rest in you. Even as we, we meet with one another and we sing and we, we listen and we pray, Lord, we believe you are here in your kindness and in your mercy. And now we pray that your name would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.